Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Lots to look at, as we always do on these markets during this program. We did have an ethanol report come out this morning. How's that being factored in? It was definitely cold, and if we were in the fall, we would say there was frost on the pumpkins. Unfortunately, there was frost on the wheat, and the market showed that. We'll get more details on that. Also, how is COVID affecting the movement of pork and beef? A lot of mixed signals out there. Do we have enough meat? Do we not have enough meat? We're going to find out all during this segment of the Fontenelle Final Bell as Arlen Suderman joins us from FC Stone. So let's start out talking frost on the wheat. Uh, not a pretty picture there the last two days. Yeah, we had some very cold air that dropped down into the plains on Monday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning. And uh, obviously, as it went further south, it dropped all the way down past the Red River in Texas. Uh, as it dropped south, it moderated, but the wheat was further along further south you go, as you would expect, and therefore it took less cold in order to do damage. We have wheat pushing out, the heads pushing out of the boot along the Red River, Um, and then as you get north into uh, northern Kansas and into uh, southern Nebraska, we have wheat just starting to join, and so you've got everything in between. One of the things that really set us up for a problem was last week we had uh, readings in central and southern plains in the 80s and 90s temperature-wise, and that really advanced the crop, made it more vulnerable than what it otherwise would have been. Uh, I spent a lot of years working in the extension service in Kansas, working with wheat, talking wheat fields, looking at freeze damage in wheat, and uh, one of the things I learned is wheat will make a liar out of you. Uh, the textbook has temperatures where you should see damage. Sometimes you see damage when you shouldn't see damage, and sometimes you don't see damage when you should. Having said that, we did get cold enough relative to the level of growth development um, to do some damage throughout that stretch, really from uh, going down from uh, northwestern Kansas into central Kansas all the way down into uh, the Red River Valley, maybe even a little bit into uh, Nebraska where there wasn't a little bit of snow cover or something. Uh, we repeated those temperatures almost identically then this morning, kind of giving it a double whammy hit, uh, increasing the odds that we did some damage. The less mature wheat has the opportunity to develop new tillers and to replace much of the lost yield although it will be a later harvest, and then that leaves us vulnerable to heat-robbing yield as we get into late May and early June. So that's a consideration that we'll have to watch there. Uh, as you go further south and, and the week further along, it has less opportunity to replace those tillers and to replace that damage. Um, and so we're just going to have to watch in the days and weeks ahead as the temperatures start to warm up again and get a feel for what the actual damage level is. The market not really responding simply because it doesn't have any hard evidence to trade. And so uh, one of the things that I have found over the years is that uh, spring freeze in- entry in winter wheat tends to be greatest in years when yield potential is the highest. And so you may take 10 to 20% off the crop and still get a good yield, and people say, see, there wasn't any damage. Whereas if the event had not happened, you would have had that much bigger of a crop. 
So as you look at the long-term effects, obviously the market was trading on that today. Did you see any bleed over into the corn of the beans because of, of the talk of the, of the cold weather snap? Well, we certainly have delayed the planting. Um, there was probably about 1% of the nation's corn crop that was planted in areas that would be sensitive to the cold, cold shock the seed in the ground trying to germinate and getting that cold shock, which reduces stand. That is a big hit to the farmer who did the planting. It's not that big a number. The concern is, as the cold weather retreats, the rains come back in in its wake and make it difficult to plant. So as the soil starts to warm again, so comes the rain back in again, making it too wet to plant. Um, there's a big difference between forecasting right now, some forecasting the rains to try to stay primarily into the southeastern part of the belt over the, the next several weeks. Other forecast models say it's going to spread back over much of the Midwest. Bias is it's probably going to stay more to the south and east, but we'll have to see. There's a lot of factors that go into play on this. We certainly don't want to see a repeat of last year. And at this point, I don't think that we are looking at a repeat of last year, but it does have everyone on edge. What were you, excuse me, what was your thoughts on the weekly ethanol report that came out today? Well, certainly showing that we're continuing to reduce ethanol output, but it is starting to show some signs of stabilizing. And our expectations based on some of these industry surveying we did on how far we felt like ethanol, excuse me, gasoline consumption would fall, the gasoline demand numbers are about reaching that level and starting to stabilize. So that's the good news uh, right now. That means that the ethanol should start to stabilize as well. We're still filling up storage. That's kind of forcing when a, when a plant's available storage gets to about 65, 67% full, it has to start shutting down the process so they don't run out of storage before they get the process done. We're still a little bit on the edge there, but we're seeing the shutdown kind of stabilize as anticipated. Now the question is, when will people start driving again? When will we begin them going again? USDA brought their estimate of total corn for this year to 5.05 billion. We think they're going to have to come down another 250 million bushels or so, but we'll see. Lots of things to look at, especially on this ethanol industry as we move forward and knowing the effects it'll have as well on the livestock side. Well, stick around, folks. When we come back, we're going to continue to look at what's happening in this market trade. Jump over to the livestock. That's always an interesting talk. More is coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue the conversation with Arlen Suderman. And port disruptions, we've heard of them taking place, obviously still in China. We've heard of port disruptions in South America. Not a lot here in the United States, but Arlen, there is some concerns that you're hearing kind of chattering about. Yeah, there is. Uh, it is starting to have some effect. Now, buyers in China have been panicked and much of the media in China has been panicked because they know how their country just totally shut down and that included their ports and we talked about that quite a bit over the last couple of months. They're assuming therefore that the same thing will happen in the United States and Brazil and Argentina and uh, we do not anticipate that type of total shutdown at all. But it isn't. it is having some effect. 
basically, uh, the problem is especially prominent in New Orleans area where uh, coronavirus is having a much bigger impact. And so as you have workers who get the sickness, co-workers not wanting to get it, decide not to show up as well. Um, as far as loading the ships, that's a fairly automated process. It takes very few workers really to run that process. And so we see no slowdown at all at this time in loading ships. Where we are seeing some implications is in unloading the barges that come down the Mississippi River. That takes quite a bit more labor to unload the barges and then go into the tanks to clean them out, etc. So any type of labor shortage there has a bigger impact. So far, we're not seeing any impact on exports, as I said, because the grain terminals there have abundant supplies at this point. If this were to extend into an, you know, be over an extended period of time longer than we currently project, then exports might start to be impacted negatively. At this point, uh, we're not ready to say that. So you talk about the ports and how close they are when they're unloading the barges. Let's jump over to the livestock side as we continue to hear more plants that are, are going dark or doing some cleanup because of COVID-19. How do you see that affecting the pork and, and the beef industry? Well, the losers, unfortunately, tend to be the producers. Um, packing margins are very good, especially for cattle. Um, we have had more problems here. Workers working in close proximity to each other. Um, someone gets coronavirus, and before they know it, they spread it to other coworkers. And then you have other coworkers who don't have it, who are simply get afraid of getting it, who don't show up for work. So some of these plants have had 400 people sometimes just not show up for work for those reasons stated. And that makes it often difficult. Some plants have had to combine shifts, first and second shift perhaps, or or something like that in order to get enough workers to keep the chains moving. They've slowed the chains down. And as the media has reported, we've had some plant closures, most notably the big Smithfield hog processing facility in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So we have plenty of meat in the freezer right now in the United States. But when you're not processing, and we do have excess slaughter capacity, but that means sometimes having the hogs some distance in order to get to that capacity and sometimes that's not an option that's available so the animals start to back up <clears throat> that really doesn't work very well you get bigger <clears throat> bigger steers more weight on them bigger production <clears throat> probably works worse for dogs and especially the poultry so we have seen some culling of poultry started and we have started seeing some culling of baby pigs um, in the cattle side, we've seen an increase in uh, taking cows for slaughter, uh, leaving calves on grass a little bit longer, not placing them in the feed yard. But it takes time to turn this industry around. Meanwhile, we're not seeing any shortages to the consumer at this point because of the amount of meat that is still in the freezer. Um, if this goes for an extended period of time, then that starts becoming more of a factor. So is African swine fever an issue yet, or has it just been kind of overshadowed by all the COVID talk? Been overshadowed, and it's still a big problem. And, uh, in fact, we talked with our office in Shanghai about that this week. They're still seeing significant evidence of African swine fever in China, and we know it's also in some of the surrounding nations as well. They did very little slaughtering during the months of January and February because they basically shut down their country. 
So they backed up those animals. In March, they started slaughtering again, so they had to surge of supplies. They blew away all their rec- previous records, sometimes by multiples, in imports of pork and beef in March. And yet their meat prices only fell slightly during the month. And restaurants still aren't back up to full steam. That just shows how tight meat supply is in China. All right, Arlen, sounds good. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? IntlFCStone.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N. FF101. And that is the Fontenelle Final Bell. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss are not suitable for all investors. It's been brought to you by the Fontenelle Hybrids and your local Fontenelle dealers. Check it out as a podcast at ruralradio.com, wherever you subscribe to your free podcasts and on Spotify as well. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.